the, the, heart, the, the hands of a, a surgeon, but the arms of a lumberjack. He really liked that, so I said it again. <laughs> um, but it's true. This man, uh, uh, we are so blessed uh, that, that he and his wife, Kristen, um, chose to move into the community um, through this time in their lives as they're in med school um, and, as they, and, and forward and future. Uh, but we really think of Nate as one of the uh, one of the patriarchs. I mean, he was the first to buy a home in the community, uh, the first to enter into discipleship relationship, and is multiplying his life in the community um, with the time that he's been given here. And so uh, we're thankful for you, brother, and uh, look forward to uh, you sharing God's word with us this morning. Thank you. Um, let's let's pray before we get started. Lord God, would you meet us here today? Lord, would you use your word? Um, would you use me to expound on your word, Lord? Um, I pray that we would have open hearts, Lord, to your truth. Not to my truth, but to your truth, Lord, and that that would change our lives. Um, amen. Um, before we get started, uh, an announcement that I have for my Mac group, um, shameless plug here. Um, there's, this is in your, your bulletins, but, and it kind of ties into today's theme on service, but, uh, we're doing an alleyway cleanup right on the alley, the next alley over, um, on May 1st. And one of the cool things about this outreach is it's going to be one of the first times we have a chance to have Indian Village and not Indian Village at the same outreach. Um, and if you live in this community or you drive around this community, you'll, you know that there's a huge difference between those two groups of people. Um, all right, but on, on to, the, to the passage. I'm going to start by reading the passage, and then we'll kind of walk through it. Um, if, you're, if you like to take notes, I would encourage you that you don't have to. I have my notes written out, um, so you can pick those up in the back when you leave. Um, but I would encourage you to have a Bible out, and if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Um, and just, it'll make a lot more sense if you have the passage in front of you the whole time. All right, so John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he had said, not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. 
Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I think it's important to keep in mind as we... You can go to the next slide, Beth. Um, as we go through this passage, keep in mind how great our God is. Um, this isn't just a man washing other men's feet. This is the creator of the universe washing the created's feet. Um, we're at a transitional point in John. He's moving the first 12 chapters. He's talking a lot to you know, different groups of people, including the disciples, but in large part a public audience. Um, right now, he's transitioning to just talking to his disciples. And the next four chapters take place in the course of a few hours. Um, in, ver- in chapter 18, we see them leaving for the garden. Right now, they're beginning the Last Supper. So this, this all happens in a relatively short amount of time. But the reason there's so much time spent here, I think, is because he's preparing his disciples for his death and resurrection. A lot of times before, Jesus would kind of explain things after they happen, but he really wants his disciples to get what's coming. And so he sits them down and explains it to them. Um, And notice how he refers to the believers in um, in this passage, or John, how John refers to them. Um, he says, having loved his own who were in the world. In this transition from public to kind of the disciple ministry, he's also starting to contrast the two groups, the world and those who are his own who are in the world, in the world but not of the world. Um, and you can follow that through the next few chapters. Um, he also kind of picks up on a Passover theme. Um, He's, he mentions the Passover, John mentions the Passover a lot in his gospel. And the reason is he wants, to, he wants to, us to key in on Passover imagery. Um, this is particularly relevant to, you know, people who come out of, like, ethnic Judaism, where they have this Passover feast every year. And it, probably all familiar with the Passover, but basically, uh, the, you know, the tenth plague before the Israelites left Egypt was the killing off of the firstborn sons. And it was really all the, all the sons in the land, firstborn sons in the land that were you know, subject to this. But Israelite sons got out of it if a lamb had been slaughtered and his blood had been spread on the door posts. So as, as we're looking forward to Jesus' death and resurrection, John wants you to start thinking of Jesus as a Passover lamb. Um, his, his blood, which he shed on the cross for us, not only saves firstborn sons, but it also it saves all of spiritual Israel, um, which is everyone that believes in him. All right, you can go to the next slide. Um, okay. There, right before this, um, it kind of, he mentions in passing, you know, the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Um, and there, this comes up again later in the chapter, but I'm just going to say a few points about that here. Um, 
So this interaction between Judas and the devil is kind of an interesting interaction. Um, sometimes I think we think of it as Satan possessing Judas, and like Judas is Satan's little puppet. Um, I want to propose to you that because Judas is in a state of unrepentant sin, his mind is, he's a slave to sin. He actually has the same mind as Satan. He doesn't need to be overtaken by Satan. Um, and this is the state we're all born into. And this is the state many of us are still in where we have not submitted ourselves to Christ, and therefore, for all intents and purposes, we have the mind of Satan. He doesn't need to, he doesn't need to overpower us. We're, we have that in us. Um, but to encourage those of you who are believers and who are pursuing God, we know that Jesus said a couple of chapters ago in, in chapter 10 that, that no one can steal the good shepherd's sheep from his hand. And Paul talks about how nothing can separate us from the love of God. Sometimes Christians have this, this sense that, you know, that Satan is just waiting to take us over, and we need to be watching out all the time because the devil's going to get us. And I think there's a famous comedian once who had a line, you know, the devil made me do it. Um, but that's not true for Christians. Like, we are not subject to Satan's influence unless we allow him to be there. Um, we have Christ's power in us all the time. So we should be encouraged by that. Um, Okay, so now moving on to kind of the central story of the passage. So Jesus, you know, Jesus takes off his outer robe, he puts a towel around him, and he starts washing the disciples' feet. And I kind of said this earlier, but he's, he's taking the position of a slave. This washing feet was a task that was reserved for slaves and servants. Sometimes maybe even women and children would do it. And on the rare occasion, maybe even a disciple of a rabbi would do it. But you wouldn't ever see a rabbi washing disciples' feet. Um, and, and, I mean, this is, this is so socially shocking to them. Like, we, we don't really appreciate this, I don't think, because we don't wash each other's feet, for one. Um, and I couldn't think of a good analogy when I was preparing for it. But maybe, maybe something like, you know, you washing an ant's feet or something like that would be applicable. Like, but even, but it's more than that even. It's like the position between the created and the creator is so far that we can't, there's no good analogy for that. Um, but that's, that's how far Jesus is stooping to do this. Um, and not only is he doing the task, but he's also dressing the part. Like when it talks about him taking off his, taking off his outer cloak and wrapping a towel, that's essentially how a house slave dressed. Um, so he really, really wants them to get that he is being a slave for them. Um, and you kind of see from Peter's reaction just how, how shocking this was to him. Um, so Jesus has washed a few disciples' feet. He gets to Peter. Peter says, you know, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus, Jesus says basically yes. And then Peter says, no, you're not going to. And I think on the surface this, this looks like humility. This looks like, no... You know, I don't deserve for you to have my to wash my feet. But I think underneath that is a this um, this sense of pride. Um, Peter is not only saying that he knows better than the other disciples that Jesus shouldn't wash their feet, but he's also saying he knows better than Jesus whose feet Jesus should wash. Um, and so I, I think a lot of us do this. I I do this. I'm kind of like Peter. I like to serve other people, but I don't like to be served. Um, and 
you know, I, I find different excuses for it, you know, like, no, it's not that big of a deal. Um, you know, I don't want to take resources away from other people that need them. Um, but at the root of it, I'm saying that I don't have need. And that's a really dangerous position to be in. And Eric Russ has been breaking me of that steadily for the past few years. Um, but it's dangerous because we treat sin and our need for accountability the same way we treat our, our other needs. We kind of hide it. We, you know, we, we don't acknowledge it. We turn a blind eye to it. And when it outgrows our ability to hide it, then we run. We run away from accountability. And, yeah. and we run to people that will tell us that we're okay and that there's nothing that needs to change. And that's what the world will tell you. The world will tell you that... You, that sin is no big deal. Um, and this comes up a lot in discipleship relationships. Like, one of the big functions of discipleship relationships is to have your discipler, you know, open up, you know, blind spots to you. Um, so if you are in a discipleship relationship, or even if you have Christians around you that are saying, hey, this area doesn't look like it's supposed to, or isn't like it's supposed to, um, you aren't really following God here. You're not trusting in God here. Um, we need to be open to that. Because um, if we're not, if we're running away from that, we're running right, you know, right down this path, this wide and easy path to destruction. And it, it, you know, it feels better at first, but it, it ends in death. And it is not satisfying. So I would encourage you to, when you, when you do, like, refuse, you know, refuse help, if that is... If that is a place you're in where you're just constantly refusing help and not acknowledging need, I'd encourage you to take, take a second look at your motives behind that. Another, another part of Peter's refusal, I think, is just based on this ongoing misconception of who Christ is. There was, you know, the popular notion pretty much as far as we can tell from Scripture, what everyone thought was they were expecting a Messiah for sure. And they were expecting him from a certain place and he was going to look a certain way. But he wasn't going to look like Jesus. He was going to look a lot more like David, um, who was a conquering warrior who took over the nations around him. Um, but Jesus you know, comes as, as the lamb, as a Passover lamb, the one who's going to be sacrificed. And this, they just can't get it. There's too much, too much history that they've built up, too much preconceptions. Um, and that, when we don't understand who Jesus is, we can't really bear his image well. Um, and that's kind of going beyond this passage, but that's why we need to get a right image of Jesus. And it's, it's something, I think, for the disciples, like Eric was saying last week, that in the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ, he kind of flips a switch in their head. And they're like, oh, that's it. He is God. That's what he was talking about the whole time. And they're not, <clears throat> they finally understand, like, even though it seems so clear to us as we're reading through, like, oh, he says he's God. He says he's God again. And again, he says he's God. They're like, for them, they don't, we have less baggage in that area, I think, than they do. Um, so it's easier for us to see. But the, but the death and resurrection haven't happened yet. And so they still are in this state of, of not understanding exactly who Jesus is. Um, and in, in verse 7, Jesus kind of responds to this, 
misunderstanding in a very interesting way. Um, and it kind of echoes, well, it, it speaks to Adrian's prayer a little bit. Um, Jesus replied, you know, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Jesus doesn't actually expect him to understand now, but he does expect him to submit now. Um, and he's saying, you know, I'll, I'll show you why I'm doing it later, but you need, to, you need to submit to me right now, which is a huge thing for us as Christians. A lot of times we, you know, keep waiting till we understand things perfectly before we act, but Jesus doesn't always operate that way. In fact, he probably rarely operates that way. Um, and he's not, he's not asking Peter to submit so he can prove that he's really humble. Um, he's asking him to submit because he wants them to get something bigger here. Um, and that's the need for spiritual washing. You can go to the next slide. Um, and so in verse 8, you know, Peter says, you should never wash my feet. Jesus answers, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Um, and he's not, he's not talking, like, if you don't get your feet washed, you're not a Christian or you're not a follower of Christ. It's not what Christ is saying. He's kind of blowing up this idea of the physical washing to a spiritual washing, which from other parts of Scripture and from verse 8, we can you know, piece together at least four things that spiritual washing involves. First, we have to realize that we're all unclean. We're all born into this sinful state. Romans 3.23 says, you know, we have all sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. <clears throat> And Isaiah 64.6 says that even our most righteous acts are like filthy rags in front of God. Like, sometimes we think we have it together. We think, you know, we're living a pretty good life. We're not sinning. We're certainly not as bad as that other guy. But Isaiah is telling us that's, that's filthy rags compared to God's holiness. That won't get you. That won't get you in with God. You have to be washed by him. Um, and that unclean and sinful state is in essence, separation from God. Um, Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, and that death is eternal separation from God. And Jesus is the only one who can wash us. Um, he, sa- you know, he says that here, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Um, and you know, we, we hear this time and again that Jesus is the only way. He says in John 14, too, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And yet, the world tells us that, you know, all religions are generally the same. We're all worshiping the same thing, but in different ways. Jesus is definitely, definitely disagrees with that. Um, so you have to be washed by Christ. You can't be washed by, you know, Muhammad or by Moses, or by any other Confucius. Those people can't wash you. They can't take away your sin. Christ died on the cross in order to take away your sin. And no one else um, in history has done that. And we have to submit to this washing. We have to, we have to agree with God about our sin. And we have, to, we have to kind of let go of our pride and our love of living life our way. And we have to say, Lord, would you please, would you please take this life? I've tried it my way. And no matter what I do, I can't fill this hole. I can't wash myself. I can't get myself clean. Lord, would you do that for me? Lord, I want to live for you. Um, and being, being clean doesn't mean that we're going to stop sinning. Um, 
And we get a little picture of that where, you know, Jesus kind of says, you know, whoever has been clean only needs his feet washed. I think we can kind of see kind of a foot washing as kind of an ongoing sanctification process. Um, you know, we'll, we, we will struggle against sin, and we will need to continually confess that. <clears throat> um, and in turn, God will, will take our lives. He'll start to prune it away, um, which, which can be painful at times. But that's, that's the means for God to increase our fruitfulness. And again, we need to not run away from that. We need to not run away from the Christian life when it starts to hurt because that pain is part of, part of the process of growth. All right, you can go to the next slide. Um, yeah, so at the end of... I'm going to skip a few verses and then come back and talk about them. But at the end, Jesus says, you know, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Um, the call to follow Christ's example is always, is always going to be a call to action. And it, in this case, do not limit it to washing each other's feet. That had, had its place for Jesus as a, you know, as a means for, for showing what he wanted, but he's not asking you to wash people's feet. That's, that's really too easy. Um, and even, even by kind of blowing it up to a spiritual reality right away, and then also saying, you know, using the word things in verse 17, you realize he's talking more about more than one thing. Um, even though he only does kind of one thing here. <clears throat> so, yeah, we can, see this, we can see this call in other Gospels as well to follow Christ. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to skip what stops us for now. Can we go to the next slide? Um, so Christ is calling us to humble service. That's what he's demonstrating here specifically. I think that things also refers to the previous 12 chapters, but I'm going to just talk about what he's, his example here. Um, so remember, remember that picture of our great God, of our creator God, one who can speak things into existence, one whose voice makes mountains tremble. Um, and then realize that he's the one washing feet. He's calling us to that same type of humble service though it's not nearly so far for us to go down to serve one another. But some of us are too good to serve one another. And I think, I think that stems from a few things. Sometimes I think that we, we see our own needs um, before we see other people's needs. And we can't ever get past our own neediness to look to other people. And sometimes we get to a certain point in life and we're at a certain position, like in our job or in the church, and we think that we're done with service. And we're just, it's too trivial to keep you know, doing those things. That's what the younger people can do. And I think for the younger people, the danger is we wait around to find our spot. We, like, we hop around to different churches, and we hop around in different ministries, and we're like, you know, when God shows me the perfect spot for me, then I will start serving. Um, but God, God doesn't do that. We know that with Peter. He says, you know, you don't understand this now, but you will. And so I think the encouragement for the young people is, you know, plug in where you're at. Like, I, I know the urge to jump around. Um, and even for older people who would like to jump around in churches, like, if it's not here, plug in somewhere where they preach the gospel. 
and serve. Because that's a, this is a call for every Christian. This isn't a call for me or for Nick or for whoever. Like, this, is, this is a call for everyone. Everyone who wants to follow Christ. Um, and I think sometimes we're just afraid. Like, I know, I know sometimes we have outreaches that make me really uncomfortable. And I, you know, I look for excuses not to go to them. Like, door to door. Like, I have a really hard time you know, sharing the gospel one-on-one. And so I'm afraid to do that. It exposes weaknesses in me. Um, but, it's in, but ultimately, that doesn't matter. I need to get out and do it anyway. <clears throat> All right, so Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. This is kind of Paul giving us an example to follow of Christ's, Christ's humility. Um, and so I'll just read it for us. You know, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's a pretty powerful example. And I... It's important to remember that last verse. Like, not only does he wash his disciples' feet, but then he goes on to be tortured and to die for those that believe in him. And he doesn't have to. You know, Paul, Paul goes on to say in this passage that humbling ourselves and serving one another without grumbling or complaining is our means of shining forth Christ's light to a, a crooked and depraved generation. Um, and he says elsewhere in Corinthians that the body serving itself is a means of building you know, Christ's body up, Christ's body being believers. What an opportunity we have to, to not only bear Christ's image to others, just through our actions. We don't have to say anything. For people who are like me that you know, struggle saying things, like this is a tremendous opportunity to just live out the gospel. It's not enough, but it's a tremendous opportunity. And it's a tremendous opportunity to see your brothers and sisters grow. Like, you're the, you're the means that Christ put on earth to help your brothers and sisters grow. And I, Paul, Paul closes his passage, you know, by saying how much he rejoices and is glad. Like, in spite of all his sufferings for, for this church in Philippi, how, how much joy that gives him. And I think... Sometimes we, we, don't, we make too little of the promises of reward in the gospel. Um, you know, Christ at the end of this says, you know, blessed are those who do them. And blessed can also be translated happy. Um, you know, we tend to like go towards like house, cars, things like that. Those are blessings. Um, but I think the greatest blessing is the joy that we have in Christ. And that's what he's offering. Like, he's, he's not saying just do this out of a dry sense of duty, but do this because you'll get joy out of it. Do this, because I've done it for you, and I'm getting joy out of it. Um, yeah. So th- this is a, 
This passage is a call to action, and you know John 17 makes that clear. And I, I'm, I'm boring you because there's no new information here, and I apologize. It's the gospel, though. Um, and it's like we John goes over the same things over and over and over again because he wants us to get them because they're important. Um, it's not it's not because we should skip this passage or because we've seen this before. Um, and I don't know, I, like. We need, we, need to, we need to really think about things that are said multiple times in the Gospels. Like, you guys know that you're not supposed to be selfish. Like, you will get that outside of the church, probably. Um, and, yet, and yet we see passages like this, and we, just, we go back, and we live life the same way. And I, I, I think it's because we're either not, we're kind of half-hearted about our, our faith. Um, and we don't, we either don't really realize who we're serving um, and we don't really think there's a heaven and hell waiting um, or we really like the world. Um, and so I, I would encourage you, you know, don't, don't just disregard you know, what's said here today. Not for my sake, um, but for Christ's sake. You, know, you can forget everything I said, but go back to this passage and look for yourself. There's, there's a call to a unique life here. Um, can you put up the next slide? And I, like, the, the call is, I mean, this is basically a call to kingdom living. And, you know, using that passage in Philippians, we can kind of get a few characteristics of it. It's, you know, it's tender and compassionate. It's genuinely humble. It's not false humility like Peter. It's focused on others. And that is really hard. Like, I'm, I'm married, and I have a daughter, and it's really hard to not, you know, to not think of myself even above my wife, and how much harder to not think of myself above, like, Nick or Micah or Jason. But that's, that's what we're called to. You know, we're supposed to take others' concerns on us, and I know that, like, I feel like I've got a lot of concerns in my life. I've got a lot of stuff that I've got to deal with. Um, and... And if, I would, if Christ was calling the, us to do this on our own strength, like this would be an overwhelming call. And if you've ever tried to do it on your own, which I have, it is an overwhelming call. Um, but that's, you know, that he, Paul kind of brings in this idea of, you know, if you have fellowship with the Spirit. And I think that's, that's key to, you know, to having enough, enough love and enough other-centeredness to be able to live out a Christ life like, Christ-like life. Um, yeah, because if you do try to do it on your own, you will burn out and you will, you know, you'll hate, hate everyone else in the church <laughs> and then you'll leave. Um, and so, it, yeah, the purpose of it, as we said before, are, you know, to bear Christ's image, you know, in a very dark world, in a broken world, um, and to strengthen your brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, so now I've got a few questions to kind of recap. So this is going to be the first sermon that gets done on time in a long time. Um, okay, so the questions for today. And if you guys have questions, feel free to stop me. Um, but first one is, are you like Peter? Are you too good to be served? You know, do you know better than Christ and better than other Christians what you need? You know, if so, if you 
find yourself in that position, you know, what, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to continue on in that? Second question, are you too good to serve? You know, are you too self-absorbed? Are you too, too comfortable with your life to, to look out for other people? You know, to intentionally make less of yourself. Not, it doesn't just happen. You have to actually intentionally do it. Um, you know, to seek out need and to, to, to serve others. At MacEd, we, you know, we do a lot of outreaches. We kind of make this easy for you to, to find opportunities to serve. Um, so take advantage of those opportunities. Do you take Jesus' commands seriously? And what I mean by that is when Christ uses his word or other believers to expose lies in your belief system, how do you respond? Do you, I mean, are you, do you get defensive and lash out and say, oh, that's not me, like, it's not that bad? Or do you, do you take that to heart and say, okay, maybe this is something I need to work on, you know, and pray about that and ponder that? You know, does your life change when you hear God's truth? Or do you just go home and critique sermons? Because you're welcome to. But, um, and I think the one thing for all of us is, you know, have you let Christ wash you? Kind of either that initial washing where you, you know, you're acknowledging your, your life of sin, you're bent towards sin. Um, and that ongoing washing that Christians also experience. You know, if you, if you have never let Christ wash you, I would encourage you to do that today. And basically that means, you know, stepping off the throne of your life and saying, Lord, I know you know how to do this better than me. You created me. Here, here I am. And if you want to know more about that, I would encourage you, you can talk to me. You can talk to Eric Nielsen. Um, you can talk to Josh, Vow, Rich, Pretty much anyone who's in discipleship here should be able to answer that question for you. Um, but yeah, I would encourage you to, to let Christ wash you. To let Christ have control of your life. Um, so, um, I'm done. I, do, I want to remind you that there are notes available and Eric can pass those out or someone will be passing those out at the back. You don't have to take them just because I offered them. Um, but they are there. And I would encourage you to go back and read this passage. Um, the Bible is, is open and available to all of us. Um, we have it in our language. You know, thousands of people have died throughout history to preserve this. The creator of the universe used people to put down his, his mind into, you know, into a book for us. Don't, you know, don't take that for granted. You know, read this before you come. Read this after you leave church. Um, you know, let, let God transform your heart and mind through this word. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for using it to, to change lives, Lord, um, and to wash us, Lord, with your truth. Lord, I pray that we would have Humility, Lord, that we would recognize that we don't have it all together, Lord, and that we would want want you to take take us over, 
Lord, and that we would have a passion for you, Lord, that we would not follow you out of this unemotional sense of duty, Lord, but that we would really hunger and thirst for you, Lord, as we hunger and thirst for lunch. Um, and Lord, I pray that as you, as you change our hearts, as you use your word, Lord, to, to wash us, that we would be your lights, Lord, in our community, Lord, that our love for one another would grow and our love for you would grow. And that people would see that and people would stop us on the street, Lord, and ask us, you know, where we find our hope. Lord, would you, would you use your word to change lives, Lord, today and in the weeks ahead? Amen. All right, now we're going to have a time of tithe. And if you're new here um, or you're not a believer... Put your, you know, leave your wallet in your back pocket in your.